This is The Long Cut, a podcast by Booster Stage. I'm your host, Ryan, and I'm on a journey to look behind the curtain of the overnight success. On this show, we talk with founders, business owners, entrepreneurs, and innovators who have successfully launched, built, grown, and sometimes exited SaaS businesses that solved a problem. Ready? Let's get started. Today on The Long Cut, I caught up with Nathan Berry. Nathan's the founder of ConvertKit, which is an email marketing platform for creators. I'd heard Nathan's story about the founding of ConvertKit before, and it really stuck with me. ConvertKit's a pretty interesting company. Nathan has built a company culture that deliberately values the people in the company. ConvertKit also has an incredible growth story, and it's easy to look at their growth trajectory as a foregone conclusion. But it was far from a foregone conclusion. There was a time when Nathan actually considered giving up entirely on the idea, and he had to decide if this was something that he was going to invest in or if he was going to shut it down and move on to something else. I sat down with Nathan to ask him why he didn't give up on the idea and what it was that helped him turn it around. Along the way, you're going to hear Nathan talk about how important positioning is to their branding, how they used direct sales to actually reach out to potential customers, and how their why, their reason for being, has evolved over the years. Just a little side note, when we recorded this episode, ConvertKit was in the process of changing their name to Seva. They've since pulled the plug on that change, and ConvertKit is going to stay ConvertKit. I decided to leave it in because Nathan's thought process about their why and why he thought the name Seva fit their company identity was so interesting. I'll put a link in the show notes on thelongcut.fm slash Nathan if you're interested in learning more about that decision. Now, on to our interview with Nathan Barry. Nathan, welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me on. On The Long Cut, we get into the stories behind successful SaaS businesses and dig into the details that went into their success story. Most of the time, what you see as an overnight success is actually predicated on years of hard work. So Nathan, the story of ConvertKit is really interesting because if I'm not mistaken, it took some time before ConvertKit hit your stride. But once that happened, your growth kind of happened really quickly. So could you, why don't you give us a quick history of ConvertKit? So I started it back in 2013, January 1st of 2013. If you're trying to calculate dates of when you start a company, I highly recommend uh, January 1st as a start date because it's way easier than you know trying to be like, well, we started on March 22nd, but I started on the first of the year. The reason I started the company is that I was selling eBooks and courses online to my audience and I was using MailChimp for that. And email was driving more sales than all other platforms combined. And yet at the same time, I was just fighting with MailChimp because they didn't have any best practices implemented. They couldn't take my customers. I couldn't do different content upgrades, all this stuff without like a lot of hacks. And so I decided that I was going to start my own company, you know, build my MailChimp replacement. So I'd launched that. I, I built the whole thing in public with a goal of getting to $5,000 a month after six months. I did not hit that goal, but I got to about... 2200 a month, 2000 a month. Um, and so that was pretty good, you know, a, a good six months. And I just figured we'd kind of grind it out and, and grow from there. Unfortunately, it didn't go up from there. So six months in, basically in July, we're at 2200. And then it just stayed flat. 
and then gradually declined from there as people canceled and I wasn't able to drive more sales and the initial excitement just kind of wore off to the point where almost two years in, we were down to doing about $1,200 a month in revenue and people used it and found it valuable, but it wasn't on the same level uh, as what I hoped for. And it was certainly the wrong growth curve. You know, you want that curve to go up and to the right, as they say, and this was, um, you know, it <laughs> looked like a hill and then we're going, had spent a decent amount of time going down the other side. And that's just not what you want to see. Yeah. That's not the typical like pitch presentation. <laughs> Here's our hill and we're going down. Yeah. I certainly wasn't going to be able to raise capital or anything like that with a, a curve like that. No, not at all. So that's not, that's not ideal. So how did you figure out then that, I mean, obviously something is wrong because we're not growing. So how did you get from like starting to realize that the curve is going down and to the right to figuring out what it is that your customers actually wanted. What I did was I had a conversation with a guy named Heaton Shaw and Heaton has started a bunch of companies, Kissmetrics, Crazy Egg, a bunch of other stuff. And what he did is he just pulled me aside. We were at a conference walking back from dinner and he just said, Hey, I think it's time that you shut down ConvertKit. Ouch. Yeah. And I was like kind of taken aback by that. I was like, that's not a nice thing to say to someone. I worked hard on this. Like, don't just tell me to shut it down. So after the, he said that, he just kind of kept going. And he was like, you know, you've worked on it at this point for over a year and a half. It's not successful. Uh, it's not like you can't be successful with something. You'll be successful with something else. So shut it down, move on and do something else. And I remember thinking about that. And like, cause he said that and then he just kind of started walking again. And I remember thinking about that and being like, wait, what, what do I even do with that? Like, I don't want to shut this down, but is he right? So I kind of started walking in, caught up back up with him and he just said, or what you can do is you can take it seriously and give it the time, money and attention it deserves and build it into a real business. But what I'd been doing is using, running it as a side project. And so it just hadn't been getting traction. I've been giving it part of my attention and yet I'd been expecting customers to take it seriously and really have it build into something. And that wasn't going to work. And so I, I had this decision to, to make of, do I shut it down or, or double down on it? And ultimately what I asked myself was two questions. The first one was, do I still want this as much today as I did, you know, at this point almost two years ago when I started? Because if not, it's totally okay to just be done and move on. And the answer was that, yeah, I did. I wanted the next challenge of building a software company. I wanted this to work. And so then I was like, okay, if I want it to work, then why isn't it working? So I was like, go to the next question. And the next question was, have I given ConvertKit every possible chance to, to succeed? And the answer there was a clear no. Like I'd been working on it part-time. I'd limited the amount of capital that I'd put in, all of that. And so then it's like, wait, hold on. There's a disconnect between what I say I want and what my actions are expressing. And so with that, I knew that I had to double down because I would always wonder, could I have made this company work? So that was, that was the turning point in the graph. But even then, it didn't turn around immediately. So what kind of marketing were you doing during that time when you were working on it kind of as a side project? I was writing posts on my blog. That was probably the main thing, writing posts on my blog. I mean, I had thousands of subscribers to my blog, and so I had that as a resource. But, it, you know, and then I'd, I'd rework the homepage, write new copy, um, work on new features, promote the features as they came out, stuff like that. But even then, you were just kind of marketing to sort of a limited number of people. And 
email marketing is a pretty competitive space, especially with MailChimp and Drip in it. So was Drip around at that time? Yeah, Drip started at almost exactly the same time uh, ConvertKit started. I found out later they started working on it like two months before or three months before I started working on ConvertKit. Um, but they took a lot longer to launch than we did. And so I think we ended up launching and getting customers before they did. So you decided it's time to either shut it down or put everything into it. So what happened next? I hired a, instead of just working with contractors, I hired a team. I invested $50,000 of my own money. Uh, and I started, well, first I picked a specific niche. So instead of being email marketing for everyone, I picked the niche of email marketing first for authors that didn't work out. But a few months later, I changed it to email marketing for professional bloggers. And then we started to go from there. But then the important thing after that is I, I added direct sales as the main way to grow. And I think that's the best way to grow a small software company if you don't have a big audience is by getting on calls with people, learning about their pain points and, and going from there. And so that's really how we built it initially. I had talked to Brennan Dunn about right message in our last episode, and he also advocated direct sales. I think that's something that a lot of SaaS founders kind of overlook because it seems like you can just sort of put up a landing page and have a sign-up form and people will onboard themselves and you can just sit back and re read the rewards. But in reality, that doesn't usually work that way. There's a very small number of, of SaaS businesses that, that work that way. And most founders that I talk to, they're pretty hands-on with their sales and with onboarding and with customer success. It's not just a, it's not just kind of a magic business model that just takes care of itself. So, I mean, with Brennan, that's something like I'm an investor in right message and I've been preaching direct sales for years. So he and I have talked about that extensively. And so I'm just a huge fan of it, especially in his case where, well, and in ConvertKit's case, where the lifetime value or, you know, or the revenue per uh, customer can be a decent amount higher. You know, it doesn't just have to be the $29 a month. It can be a hundred, 200, 500 a month. And that works a lot better. But even if you have a lower dollar value, it's so critical for finding product market fit, you know, and finding if you know, you reach, if you have the right message and you're reaching the right people, you get, just get so much feedback. So for us from that point, it ended up being two full years in by the time I brought the team on and, you know, transferred the money over and all of that. And we at that point had about back up to like 1500 a month in revenue. And then we just grew by 300 the next month, then 500 the month after that, and just kind of up and up and chipped away at it. And by the following July, so at this point, two and a half years in, we were then at $10,000 a month. And then from there is when it really took off. So that's pretty scary though, because when you made that initial investment, there you are, you know, you've built the first version of this product yourself and it's kind of languishing a little bit. But, and so you decided to put a pretty substantial amount of your own money into it, hire some developers, build a team. That must have been pretty scary. Did you have feelings of doubt at that point? Uh, yeah, there were a lot. I mean, by that point, we actually completely ran out of money. And I don't just mean the company. I mean my wife and I personally. Like you could look at our investment accounts and we sold off pretty much everything in order to fund the company and you know our living expenses. And then uh, about that July... 2015 mark is when we hit break even and we're able to uh, not start saving money, but at least not be losing money every single month. Okay. So July, 2015. Yeah. Two and a half years in. 
you started making pretty much making your investment back at that point. Although you still ten thousand a month it sounds like a lot, especially when you're just starting out. But that doesn't really support a full full development team. Um, so you still had kind of a ways to go from there. I didn't start taking a salary for another uh, let's see, almost another full year from that point. We were doing over certainly over a hundred thousand a month, if not more, before I started taking any kind of a salary. So I want to circle back to what you said about finding a niche because I thought that was really interesting. Tell me how it was how was the product positioned before you niched down to email marketing for pro bloggers? I'd probably have to look in the Wayback Machine, um, but it was like the you know how to convert email subscribers or visitors to email subscribers. Did you have like a, an ideal customer profile at that point? No, I don't think so. Uh, we were going after a lot of beginners. I do remember that because I remember thinking it'd be too hard to get advanced people to switch. So we should get beginners to start on our platform and then we'll grow with them as they grow. It was a terrible idea. Don't go after beginners. <laughs> they, just, <laughs> they just churn like crazy. Yeah, because they're like trying out new tools probably and trying to see what sticks. And they just don't know the amount of work that goes into it. And so you have two problems. They might churn for normal reasons like other accounts or they might churn because they're just done running that business. They're like, never mind. A blog is too much work. I'm done. A podcast is too much work. I'm done. Plus, you probably have to do a lot of education and handholding and support. So a big move for us is when we started to go after people who are already established and already had traction. That's something I'd recommend for anyone making a product. You already knew that you were going to be email marketing for creative people. But at that point, it was kind of a decision of like what segment of creative people we were going to target. Yeah. And it's a different thing to know as kind of the area that we're focused versus actually naming it. Because once we said email marketing for professional bloggers, then people started saying, oh, but I'm a podcaster. Is this for me? And that's the worry. What if someone doesn't identify with the term blogger? And so that's why no one wants to go to a targeted niche because they're worried about excluding people. But the truth is that doesn't really happen that much. That's not so much of a concern. Yeah, I think people are really good about applying this this idea to myself, like people are good at putting themselves into that situation. Oh, well, it says pro bloggers, but I'm a podcaster. That kind of applies to me. I sort of do blogging. Right. Uh, so we can really, we can extrapolate that and, and put ourselves in that position. But I think it's really interesting because a lot of entrepreneurs, like you said, a lot of people are reluctant to niche down that far, but that's what really probably lit your growth engine on fire. Yeah. That combined with direct sales is, <laughs> is really what did it. So tell me about direct sales. How did you decide who to go sell to? First, professional bloggers, despite everyone telling me what's an obscure niche, was way too broad, like seriously way too broad. So I niched all the way down to email marketing for professional paleo recipe bloggers. Wow, <laughs> that's really specific. Now that wasn't on the homepage, that was on a separate page. And that's in who I would go after, right? But now I can make a list of all professional paleo recipe bloggers. Oh, actually take it further. Who are women? It, like as an example, you can go all the way to that. Now all of a sudden, I, I can't list all the bloggers, but I can list all the, all the top paleo recipe bloggers who are women. Uh, I can list all of the top uh, men's fashion bloggers. I can, you know, all these different industries. I can list, you know, I can list the top powerlifting blogs, like all of these different industries. If I get specific enough, I can list them out. And that ends up being something that I can sell down that list. So I would find customers that I already had. You know, I list all of those because I had customers in those segments. And I'd go after those audiences because then I could, 
instead of having to have an, a big name to name drop, I could name drop the one men's fashion blogger that I had. And in doing that, then I would be dropping someone that most people wouldn't know who it was, but the dozen other uh, fashion bloggers I was reaching out to, they would know who he was. And so then that would give my cold outreach email some relevance. And so I would list out these people in two ways. One is quite manually. So like going on Twitter, searching for a few of these sites and then starting to follow them and clicking through to, to like the recommended who else to follow, Googling for men's fashion blog, et cetera, clicking through, looking up what email provider they're using, adding them to a spreadsheet, you know, starting to figure out who's, who's friends with whom and go from there. And the other way was using sites like built with and nerdy data to scrape the web for, you know, blogs using MailChimp sorted by Alexa ranking. And that, worked okay, but it didn't tend to get as good of a response rate as the more personalized connections. So how were you making these lists? Did you, did you do this yourself or did you have like a VA that you had go and kind of scrape these, these names together? I did it all myself. So you were doing all this, this work, all this hard labor. Well, basically, I mean, hard labor is, is a strong term in this case. Hard labor sitting at your keyboard, you know. You're right. We're it's not going to get any calluses on our hands from <laughs> assembling these spreadsheets. Well, you know, calluses on the fingertips. Uh, hard labor. It's it's like um, it's hard mental labor. Yeah, I think people are scared of doing the work. They're like, oh, that's not going to scale. It is scary. Yeah. Well, I think especially with developers, like you might be kind of oriented this way too. But I definitely am. Like anytime there's any kind of manual process, I want to figure out how to automate it. And I, I've kind of had to check myself a few times because it's not always the best thing to do. It's sometimes actually going through and doing that hard labor, getting those calluses on your fingertips or your mouse finger or whatever is what really helps you to learn about who your customer is. And I think the more people can get in and do that work rather than saying, oh, that's not scalable or I don't know if that will work or not. I'm like, of course you don't know if it'll work or not. You haven't done it yet. So jump in, try it out. And then they're always trying to be like, you know, I got to hire a sales guy or I need to hire an assistant to compile this list. No, you don't. You'll learn more if you do it yourself. <laughs> and then once you find out that it's working and you feel like you've learned quite a bit, then hire the sales guy or hire the assistant or something like that if necessary. But I don't know, just I get really frustrated when people shy away from actually doing the work. Or I should say, it's one thing if you shy away from doing the work and you get someone else to do it in a way that gets results. That's fantastic. That's the ideal. But if you shy away from, the do, from doing the work and complain about not getting results, then I, I basically have zero tolerance for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I have to admit, I've felt like that before where uh, I've been in a situation where I just didn't want to do the marketing. You know, I wish I could just hire this out. But like you say, that's not really what's going to, it's not really going to produce results because you can't, you can't just bring somebody into your situation and say, here, get me customers. No, you really need to know who your customer is. And especially where do your customers hang out? Where do your customers live? What do they think about? What is the language that they use? And that's not really something that you can expect somebody else to pick up for you. But once you've done it enough times yourself, it's pretty reasonable to be able to train somebody to, to help you do that. But I think those, those things have to come in the right order. So I want to ask you about the why of all this, because you mentioned when Heaton talked to you that first time, you, you kind of sat down with yourself and asked yourself, those why questions. Do you feel like your why has, has changed over the years? Like, why do you do this? Why do you love your company so much? It definitely has. Initially it was, my why was uh, to solve a problem for myself, to have a new challenge. 
and to build up recurring revenue. I was in the ebook space doing product launches and that was going really well, but I wanted a recurring monthly revenue as well. And now my why is pretty clear. As a company, we exist to help creators earn a living. And that's pretty straightforward. And it's because we know that the impact that earning extra money on the side, not being stressed out about financials and being in control of your financial life. I know the impact that that can have on relationships, family, stress, happiness, everything else. And so that's why we're here as a company. That's what we do every day. And so with that, we're very, very clear on our why. And it's completely different than what it was before because I achieved all those goals, you know, from before. I've got plenty of recurring revenue. You know, I definitely, it's a huge challenge to build this company. I definitely feel like I've grown as a person. And yeah, those are, those are checked off. And so we have more ambitious goals now. Your why almost has kind of shifted from being inwardly focused to being outwardly focused. And that's actually, I feel like we've come full circle on this because we actually just announced last week that we're changing the name of the company to be, to match that new focus. Tell us about that. What's next for ConvertKit? First, uh, ConvertKit is a pretty technical name, you know, and we wanted to get away from that. We, and it doesn't, it doesn't match this why at all of helping creators earn a living. And so the new name is Seva, so S-E-V-A. And Seva is a Sanskrit word, and it means selfless service. And so when we think about Seva, we think a little bit about how we do business, of wanting to be generous and serve creators and know that the end goal is serving our customers. And, and if we make them successful, then our business will be just fine. But the real meaning for us behind Seva is that we think of the type of creators who we want to serve. So the creators who know that they're there to serve their audience, not their audience is there to serve them. Because I think that this opportunity, these platforms that we're able to create are both an amazing opportunity and a big responsibility. Like you're able to write and produce content that can actually really impact people's lives. And so like, I've read all kinds of blogs from people like uh, Chris Gillibo and Tim Ferriss and so many other people that have seriously impacted my life for the better. And so those are the types of creators that we want to serve. And so we're you know, planting a flag of saying, if you're like this, join our community. If you're not, if you're the kind of person who just wants to buy an email list and make a quick buck online, there's dozens of other email providers out there. But in being a part of Seva, it's not just easy to use software, but it's also a way of doing business and a full community. That's really cool. So I want to ask you before we wrap up, tell me about somebody who inspired you when you were getting started. First person that came to mind there is Chris Gillibo. Chris is a blogger and author out of Portland, Oregon. I came across his stuff, I'm trying to think how long ago, maybe seven years ago, something like that. It was probably 2011. I started reading his stuff and I came across his site, binge read everything on, on his site, like pretty much every single blog post. It was so good. Just all about you can earn a living online as a creator, how to do it. He shared actual numbers. It was fantastic. He had this approach to both quality and taking time to do it. So he had this ebook that I think everyone listening will love titled 279 days to overnight success. And I just love that of, you know, he broke it down of like, here's his overnight success moment. And then here's everything before it that went into it. And it just purely by chance, I happened to see that he had a new book coming out and I was like, Oh, that's amazing. So I, I've like 
the day I discovered him, I read his whole site over the next day or two. And then I found out that he was coming to Boise, Idaho, where I live on book tour the following Tuesday. So like four days from then. And I was just like, what? That's the, what are the chances of that? And so I went to this little book tour event. There were maybe 30 people there, got to meet Chris. And then from there, I just followed all of his stuff. He's the one who showed me that you could self-publish eBooks online and earn a living from that, grow an audience from there. And then I started attending his event called the World Domination Summit. He always has great names for everything. And I went to that event six years in a row, met incredible people. A lot of the people I work with every day today, like our COO at Seva, is someone that I met at the very first World Domination event that I went to. And so, yeah, Chris is someone who, to this day, continues to inspire me. Awesome. We'll put a link to the, that in the show notes. Well, Nathan, tell everybody how they can get in touch with you online and how can we find out more about Seva? You can find me just at Nathan Barry on Twitter, Barry's B-A-R-R-Y. And then, you know, same on Instagram, NathanBerry.com. Seva, if you want to check that out, we recorded a whole video and other details at Seva.com. So just kind of explaining, we're not completely crazy changing the name this late in the company, but really explaining why and then what the next chapter of the company looks like. And that's all at Seva.com. And over the next few weeks, we'll have the site rebranded and everything else so that ConvertKit fully becomes Seva. I guess you're going to keep ConvertKit around for a little while. Yeah. And it will always redirect to Seva with a little explanation message of like, hey, you're looking for ConvertKit. You ended up on Seva. Here's why you're in the right place. Hey, Nathan, it's been great talking to you. I, I think our listeners are really going to resonate with your story, especially the, the beginning. It's really interesting to hear how you progressed from kind of almost giving up on the project to turning into one of the main email providers and the main email provider for creators. I've enjoyed talking to you and I, I'm sure everybody's enjoyed listening. Thanks again for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. This was fun. Congrats on the new podcast. I, I think it's going to go really well. Thanks a lot. Nathan had to confront a decision that we probably all face at some point in our entrepreneurial career. Either shut down the company and go do something else or go all in and invest in it. Or as my dad would say, fish or cut bait. Nathan had to ask himself hard questions like, have I really given it a fair shake? And the answer that he came up with was, no, I don't think I have. He couldn't be satisfied letting it go until he had really tried everything that he thought he could put into it. But even after he did decide to go all in with it, it was still years before it became something that could even pay his own salary. I hope that inspires you, if you're in that place, to take a step back and look at your situation objectively. Is this really what you want to be doing? If it is, go all in on it. I wonder how many of you also picked up on this common theme that we've been hearing among some of the folks that we've had on the program, and that is that direct sales is really, really powerful for early stage startups. That's not to say that content marketing and SEO and inbound marketing are not important. They are, but if you're just waiting for people to find you on Google, it's probably not gonna be enough. Direct sales is really hard, and it can be scary for some entrepreneurs, especially introverts like me. And it relies heavily on knowing who your customer is so that you can actually find them and go out and talk to them. That's why I was really interested in Nathan's story about niching down into a very targeted market. 
Did you catch what he said? They went so narrow that they were actually targeting email marketing for professional paleo recipe bloggers. That niche is so small that they were actually able to make a list of names and addresses that they could go out and contact individually. To some entrepreneurs, that seems crazy. Well, that's not scalable. Well, who cares if it's not scalable? At this stage in your business, you need customers. And if you could get 10 customers by contacting 100 different people, isn't that worth it? Those are 10 customers that probably wouldn't have been your customer if you didn't go out and ask them to. And all it takes is knowing who they are and then asking them to use your product or making them an offer that they just can't refuse. And if your product is really valuable and if it's really meant for them, like ConvertKit was for creative people, then they won't be able to refuse your offer. It'll be a good enough offer that it'll improve their life. It'll make their story better because it is made for them. And one way you can find out if your product is really made for your customers is by talking to them. So make a list of your ideal customers, then go out and contact them. Ask them what their pain is. Ask them what problems they face. Ask them what solutions they're using now. Then make them an offer. And if your product isn't launched yet, then offer to let them be one of the first to use it. The opposite side, of course, is that if your niche is too broad, you won't be able to make a very targeted list of people who can use your product. The consequence will be you won't know who those people are. You won't know who your customer is. It'll be harder to reach out to them. It'll be harder to target your product to their needs. Nathan's niche seemed absurdly targeted. Professional paleo recipe bloggers. Isn't that limiting who they can reach out to in the future? Well, no, because he wasn't only targeting professional paleo recipe bloggers. That was one of many niches that they targeted. And so as they moved through the list of professional paleo recipe bloggers, then they went to fitness bloggers, and then they expanded from there. But each of those niches became an ideal customer profile that then they were able to target with messaging that was specifically designed to meet their needs. And who cares if it doesn't scale? At this stage, Nathan wasn't trying to scale. Nathan was trying to grow. And the way you grow is by acquiring customers. And the way you acquire customers is by doing hard work. And that's what sales is. Sales is hard work. But in the end, it led to some pretty amazing growth that's still going on today. ConvertKit is still growing. And it's one of the most interesting companies in email marketing. You've been listening to The Long Cut, a podcast by Booster Stage. Music by The Long Cut. Used with permission. Check them out at thelongcut.com. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast in iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Join me next week for another conversation where we take a dive into the steps that it took to build an overnight success. Until then, be sure to visit thelongcut.fm and submit your questions. As always, I invite you to get in touch with me so I can help you on your own business journey. I promise I respond to every message I get. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.